Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. This morning is Joy Sunday, as we heard in the Advent reading earlier, and we took a break from the purple to light the pink candle. And there's a reason for this. And uh, it's something that always comes to my mind when we come to Joy Sunday and the, the pink color kind of breaks into the purple color of Advent that is normal uh, was Hurricane Hugo. I know you know lots and lots about hurricanes here in the, in the Panhandle, and we did not know all that much about hurricanes in the Piedmont area of North Carolina until 1989 when Hugo decided to come on in all the way up to where we were in Charlotte. For some reason, I never quite figured this out, I wound up at my grandma's house and spent the night there. And all I can remember about the storm is that it was really bad. We had no power. She lit the fireplace, and we were eating Little Debbie snacks or something. So that was pretty great. And I remember all that. We stayed up all night as the storm kind of came through. But I remember as morning began to break, looked out over her yard, and we saw the pink sky of morning. The clouds were beginning to pass, the storm was beginning to pass, the night was beginning to end, and day was beginning to break. And as you know, with a beautiful sunset or a sunrise, we see that beautiful pink sky that tells us, that signals, the long, stormy, dark night is over, the sun is on the way, day is on the way, peace was on the way. That's why we take a break from the purple, from the waiting, from the darkness to light the pink candle because we see in that color the promise of morning, a reminder that spring is almost here, even in the middle of almost winter. We're reminded that with the coming of Christ, we have the coming of the new creation that breaks into the darkness and the despair and the sin and the brokenness of our world as the sun begins to shine, so was the birth of our Savior Jesus. But we think about joy, we also think about the fruit of our salvation. That when Paul says that we should bear the fruit of the Spirit, one of those fruits that should be born in our lives, that should be evident that we know Jesus is the fruit of joy. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, that the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I always loved the King James Holy Ghost, joy and peace and righteousness, joy in the Holy Ghost. And Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, that our salvation brings with it a joy that is unspeakable and is filled with glory, indescribable, unspeakable joy from the Holy Spirit of God in and through the lives of believers. And that's a fitting theme for this Sunday. It's a fitting theme that we take a break and we read the Annunciation of the birth of Christ to the Virgin Mary by the angel Gabriel. Because in this announcement from Gabriel to Mary, we see that first morning light as a new spring, a new creation begins to dawn 
in Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice this morning as we read through, you'll notice the title of the sermon. When the Holy Ghost, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, verse 35 takes us to that theme. Central here in this story is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit bringing the joy of God into the darkness of the world. Now that all sounds wonderful. And as we've been talking about over the past couple weeks, though, maybe this season is not one of joy for you. Maybe this season is not one of happiness. Maybe the color pink doesn't exactly describe your mood this morning. If you're wearing one of those wonderful 90s mood rings today in here, the ladies used to wear those, the, the ladies, the girls used to wear those back in the 90s, ladies didn't wear them. And that color was on there, it said what mood you, you reflected today. Maybe it would not be a bright, happy, joyful pink, maybe be dark, brooding purple or black or red. We all bring stuff into the worship service with us. And it would be a good thing for us to remember that maybe sitting next to you is someone who is brokenhearted, someone who is not experiencing the joy of their salvation right now. Maybe there's an unbeliever next to you. Maybe you're that unbeliever. Maybe you're the one that feels broken this morning. Maybe you're the one one that's lost, far from God. Or maybe there's some other pain or suffering or trial that is just encapsulating your entire life right now. And you say, I do not feel that joy right now. Well, this text is also for you. And I want us to read together Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And I want us to find the joy of God by his Holy Spirit, no matter our circumstances this morning. Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Number one this morning we see the visit. As we look at verses 26 through 29, the visit. Not just the visit, but the visitor and the visitee. We see the location, and we see some significance here. When you read your Bibles, no detail, especially for the gospel writers like Luke, no detail is unimportant. It's the sixth month, and it's the angel Gabriel sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Notice the significance of some of the things in this visit. First of all, we're introduced to this angel named Gabriel. And really, this is not an introduction. 
Because we've met Gabriel before in Scripture. In the book of Daniel, it is Gabriel who appears to give what Daniel says is insight and understanding. As Daniel is having dreams and having visions and declaring the word of the Lord, it is this very same angel, Gabriel, who comes to Daniel with insight and understanding, a herald angel. You know, when I was little, we used to sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, I always thought there was an angel named Harold. But it's not an angel named Harold, it is the Herald angels singing and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is born. Gabriel is one such Herald angel coming to give insight and understanding to Daniel and now coming to announce the birth of the Son of God. Notice also the reference to Galilee. Luke is sure to, be, to, to remind us that this is coming to the region of Galilee. Galilee is not new to us either. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, we read that this light is coming. This light is going to shine into the darkness. And one of the first places that Isaiah mentions, from the Lord, by the way, one of the first places he mentions this light dawning is Galilee of the nations. Not Jerusalem. It is beyond the Jordan. It's this other region full of Gentiles. But it is from there and is to there that the light will shine. In fact, you're very familiar with Isaiah 9 verse 2. That on the people who walked in darkness, a light has shone. We're very, very familiar with that verse. Verse 1 comes first into this dark, obscure corner of Israel. Into this dark, obscure corner of Judea and Galilee comes the light of the world shining. And we're very familiar with verses 6 through 7 here in Isaiah 9, aren't we? That behold, this sign will be given to you. A child will be born, a son will be given. The government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And we're told by Isaiah that this coming one who is God will have a kingdom that will have no end. We're also introduced to this city, Nazareth. Nazareth. Why would Luke even want to mention Nazareth? Little, unknown, obscure city, Nazareth. Well, the word Nazareth is coming to us from a Hebrew word, Natsar, or you would hear someone in, that, in Israel today refer to that town as Natsaret, which just means a branch. This is a city whose name is Branch. That sounds like a stupid name for a city, doesn't it? Until you realize that this is also connected to a promise in Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, we're told of this righteous branch from this stump of Jesse. In other words, God has brought judgment. He's brought desolation to his people. But from this desolation, from these stumps of the trees that have been left, in God's judgment and anger comes this sprout, comes this righteous branch. Isaiah says that the Spirit of the Lord will be upon him, and he will preach good news to the captives. So we have this herald angel coming to this place that the Bible says will shine forth the light of God into the world, coming to this village that is called the branch because we see the promise of God to David here. If you're with us through our series on Wednesday night in the Kings, I again and again and again reference 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 13. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 12, we read this promise to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. 
and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This was the promise that was driving all the way through those kings. One bad king after another bad king after another bad king. David had come and gone, but they were still holding on to this promise that one of David's sons will be raised up after him to reign on his throne forever and ever. And the fact that Luke says this happens in Nazareth reminds us of that promise. This is the branch from Jesse's stump, from David's lineage, that was promised. We're introduced introduced to Mary, this young virgin. Luke is sure to tell us that she's a virgin. Why? To remind us again of the promise from Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, that here shall be the sign that the Messiah is coming, that a virgin will conceive and bear a son and call his name nothing less than Emmanuel. And you know Emmanuel means God with us. So we're beginning to build, aren't we? The herald angel coming to this region that God's light will come from, promising this righteous branch to this young virgin whose offspring will be none other than God with us. And don't forget Joseph. He's mentioned here as the fiancé now of Mary that she's betrothed to him. And Luke reminds us he is of the house of David. Another reminder of that promise that God made to David now coming to pass in the birth of this child. The herald angel heralding the news of the end of darkness. The dawn is on the horizon. The righteous branch is coming. The one Isaiah foretold that's coming from a virgin. This king who is none other than God with us. All of that packed into these details that we see as this visitor arrives on the scene. And in verse 28, the angel greets Mary. Greetings, favored one. Favored one. Not favored in the way that we might think favored, that Mary had done something to earn favor from God, that Mary had somehow been exemplary and had earned God's attention or God's credit. No, this word means freely bestowed. It's what we think of when we think of the word grace. It is the word grace. It means unmerited, unearned favor. So this is given to Mary, not for anything in Mary, but for everything that is in God. Greetings, favored one. Why are you favored? Because the Lord is with you. Now this sounds comforting, but you have to remember that she's just had a vision of an angel. There's this angelic being standing before her. We have no description of what he looked like, only in verse 29 that Mary is afraid. And this is sort of the rhythm in the Bible, isn't it? When they behold angelic beings or some manifestation of God visibly, people are afraid, and rightly so. Mary is afraid. She doesn't understand this person. She doesn't understand the visit. She doesn't understand the message. And the Bible says she doesn't understand what kind of greeting this is. Maybe she knows the book of Daniel. She'd be familiar hearing in the synagogue the reading of the prophecies of Daniel. And she knows this angel Gabriel. We don't know that he told her his name. But at some point his name is revealed to someone because Luke records it. I don't know if that's why she's afraid. She doesn't understand what this is all about because every time angels show up, they're always calling people to do something. Every time someone says, you found favor with God, there's always going to be a catch at the end. You must now do this. Whether it was Noah or Moses or David, and now this young virgin named Mary. The Bible says that she was troubled. 
word is agitated. Not annoyed, as we would think agitated, like you're agitating me. But an agitator, like in the washing machine, that does this, that stirs and turns. You can almost feel Mary's heart fluttering and her stomach turning as this angel appears and brings this news to her. Stirred with the possibilities. Stirred with the questions. Stirred with hope. Stirred with fear. Verses 30 through 33, then, we see the announcement that Gabriel brings. Gabriel calms Mary's fears in verse 30. As angels are often, uh, often required to do when they appear to humans, the humans cower in fear and the angels have to say, do not be afraid. And what happens in the announcement to Mary is a confirmation of all those details we saw up front. All those things that we thought Luke was alluding to, Nazareth, Galilee, Gabriel, a virgin, Joseph, David, as those flags began to go up and we began to think this must be the Messiah, this must be the one, this must be the king, all of that is now confirmed with the announcement. Gabriel says to her, do not be afraid, you found favor with God, and behold, verse 31, you will conceive in your womb. And bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. You know what the announcement is to Mary? This is it. This is the one. No more mystery. No more shadows. No more forerunners. No more prophets. The time has come. The time is now. And he uses this biblical language that they would have been all so familiar with reading through the Old Testament. You will conceive and bear a son. Biblical language of God's promises throughout the Old Testament. Now coming to fruition in the birth of this son. You will conceive and bear a son. And you are to call his name Jesus. Now we're told in Matthew chapter 121... As the angel appears to Joseph in a similar fashion, he instructs Joseph, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now we know that verse. We're familiar with that terminology, that language. You'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. But why does the fact that he will save his people from their sins necessitate that we call him Jesus? Or why do we call him Jesus And what does that have to do with him saving his people from their sins? Why so particular about the name? Well, because the name Jesus that comes to us from the Greek, Jesus, would have been pronounced to Mary, presumably in Aramaic or Hebrew, as the word Yeshua or Yehoshua, which simply means the Lord saves, Yahweh saves. And so now it makes sense, doesn't it? You will call his name, the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins. Not only that, but as you read verses 32 through 33, and you see that language, the kingdom. He will give him the kingdom of David, and his throne will have no end. We're reminded of those promises back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, aren't we? It almost sounds like an echo That he promises David, I will raise up one of your offspring after you. He will sit on your throne forever. 
of his kingdom, there will be no end, he tells Isaiah. And now here to Mary, he says, this is the one, this is the son that was promised to David who will sit on his throne forever and ever. Now Luke chapter 1 is filled with two kind of parallel accounts. The foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist to Zechariah in the temple. And now the foretelling of the birth of Jesus to Mary. But whereas John the Baptist was promised as a forerunner, one who was coming to prepare the way of the Lord, this is none other than the coming of the Lord. This is no forerunner. This is no shadow. This is no type. Here's the forerunner. He's the preparer of the way. And now here comes the Lord. That is the announcement that Gabriel gives. Notice also in verses 34 through 37 the power behind all of this. Because we have some questions, don't we? Mary has some questions. In verse 27, she has a very legitimate question. Stop for a minute. I have a question. You're talking about a son giving birth. There's a problem here. I am a virgin. I am but betrothed to a man, but I've not known a man. How will this happen? That's an appropriate question, isn't it? It seems legitimate that when you're told you're going to have a child, this might be something that comes up. How will this be? In verse 34, she says, how will this be since I am a virgin? How will God do this? Let me rephrase the question. How will God bring something from nothing? How will God bring something from nothing? Well, here's another question. Has God ever brought something from nothing before? Where in the Bible has God brought something from nothing? Your mind should immediately go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning, God created. The fancy theological term for this is ex nihilo, out of nothing. God brings something. But don't miss Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. He created everything, and now over what God is about to do, over the deep, over the abyss, poetic language for the nothingness, the void of nothing, over that abyss, over that deep, is none other than the Spirit of God hovering over the nothingness. Preparing the nothingness. And as God speaks light into existence, let there be light. That light was not before the Spirit's movement. The Spirit moving on. And look here in verse 35. As Mary asks once again, how will something come from nothing? God says, it's the same way I did it then. Verse 35 The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Just like the Spirit was there over the nothingness, preparing it for the something that God would speak, He is here now, hovering over the empty womb of Mary as God is about to speak something from nothing. Just as light dawned on the creation then by the power of the Holy Spirit bringing something from nothing, now in the dawning of the light of the world, the new creation, the Spirit is here hovering, bringing something from nothing. 
And what is required here is nothing less than the power of God. How will this be? The power of God is how it will be. Echoing again, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. After we have that wonderful promise, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, his throne will know no end, his kingdom will have no end. How will this happen? Look, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. How will it happen? God's power will do it. His Holy Spirit will do it. Because the Christmas story is not found in the power of Mary or the power of Joseph. The Christmas story is found in the power of God by his Holy Spirit. It's the same thing that happened to Elizabeth. And the angel reminds Mary of this. Hey, Mary, this is no big deal. Think of what God just did for your cousin Elizabeth. Old in her age, her husband old in his age, and they didn't know how this was going to happen either. But he says, nothing will be impossible, verse 37, with God. God can bring something from nothing, and he will fulfill his promises by his spirit and by his power, because nothing is beyond him. Lastly, in verse 38, we see the surrender. Back in verse 18, Zechariah asked a, a similar question. Angel appeared to him, says, your wife Elizabeth is going to conceive and bear a son. John, forerunner, prepared the way and all that stuff. And Zechariah said, verse 18, well, how shall I know this? And we look at Mary's question in verse 34, how can this be? And we think this is a similar question. It is a similar question, but it's different enough. Zechariah's question literally could be translated, by what shall I know this? In other words, Zechariah, like so many of those Old Testament heroes, hears the word of the Lord, but doesn't quite believe it because he needs a sign. By what? What are you going to show me that I'll know this is going to happen, Zechariah says. The angel says, Here's your sign, verse 20, Luke chapter 1, verse 20. I'll give you a sign. How about you shut your mouth until John is born? And he struck dumb until his son is born. There's your sign, Zechariah. Now Mary, when she says, how will this be, is not asking for a sign. A legitimate question about how is this going to happen. You can almost sense that there is belief and trust there, not the questioning doubt of Zechariah, but trusting belief, nevertheless, with questions. And we know that this belief is there because in verse 38, we see this willingness of her surrender. Let it be to me according to your word. That English phrase you have there, most of your Bibles would say, let it be or may it be, may it happen. It's just one Greek word. It's a simple response from Mary. Literally, gnoita, may it happen. May it be as you've said. I submit to what you have said from God. She calls herself a handmaiden, a bondservant. All of this really kind of sanitized language, meaning a slave. This is a slave's response to his or her master. As Mary says, I am the servant of the Lord. At the end of this text, we see that God is faithful to fulfill his promises by his power, in his time, by his spirit, to bring his joy in his way, in his time, and nothing is impossible for him.
some things to take away from this text this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you are experiencing brokenness, lostness, confusion. Maybe you feel in your suffering, in your circumstances, or those, for those around you, you feel forgotten. That maybe even God has passed you over. Maybe even God has forgotten you. I want you to remember this morning the significance of this visit. That this herald from God comes not to a palace, not even to the temple, not even first to a priest, or even Jerusalem. The herald from God comes to this obscure region, this obscure village, obscure maiden, with an obscure fiancé, with the biggest promise ever, freely bestowing the grace of God on the undeserving. Maybe here this morning you're struggling with sin or temptation as a believer, your failures, wondering if this story is even for you, believers. Maybe you're here this morning and you are an unbeliever. You've never come to Christ as Savior and Lord. You're lost in sin, you're far from God, and your question this morning is, how can I even come to God? Consider the significance of this announcement. That this is about God coming into time and space to do what? What does it say he will do? He will save his people from their sins. By his very name, Jesus, we see his mission revealed to us. The Lord has come to save, to redeem from sin, and then to reign forever in righteousness and justice. Maybe this morning you're dealing with your inability to overcome sin or temptation. Or maybe you're an unbeliever that is lost and dead in your sins and trespasses, helpless, unworthy, and the question is still, how can I come to God? Consider the significance of his power. It's not your power, but God's power by his spirit. The same God who spoke something into nothing, who broke light into darkness by his Holy Spirit, is now speaking through his son, Jesus Christ, the light of the world, by that same power of his Holy Spirit. And into your darkness today, hear the promise of John chapter 1, verse 5, that darkness has not overcome this light. Not now, not then, not in you. Not forever. God's light overcomes the darkness because nothing is impossible for him. I don't know your heart, your life. I don't know your pain or your suffering, your lostness right now. I don't know what season, that's that sort of little Christian-y language to say what part of life you're in right now. I don't know what season of life you're in right now. I only know that the reality for many in this room, in your families, in your workplaces, the reality for many is darkness, nothingness. There's a void. There's an abyss for which the pink color doesn't really match. The songs of joy don't really match. The lights and the Christmas trees and the joy all around you don't really match. Maybe this morning you're, you're bearing a physical burden, sickness in your body, suffering, pain. Maybe this morning you're bearing an emotional burden, grief, confusion, sadness, anger, bitterness. 
Maybe there's something mental there that goes beyond just the feelings and goes beyond your body that is in your mind. Maybe you're suffering from mental decline or other issues of your mind and your thinking. Maybe your issues this morning are merely spiritual, far from God. You need assurance of your salvation. Maybe you don't know him at all. Maybe it's all the above. You say, man, I'm going to check all the boxes this Christmas season. Remember this visit, this announcement, this power. And remember this, Holy Spirit, who comes to bring you joy. Just as the sun began to rise in the coming of the Son of God, into the darkness of the world and sin and error pining comes this pink hue with the promise of day. And as Janet read for us Psalm 30, verse 5 earlier, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes with the morning. The good news of Christmas is that joy has dawned. Light has dawned. Day has come. And the good news of Advent is that that day is yet coming. That joy is yet coming. That light is yet coming. And I want you to consider at the end of all this, Mary's response And may her response be our response to God today. Simply, let it be. Let what be? Let it be according to your word. Did that mean an end to pain? Did that mean an immediate end to suffering and anguish? Did it mean an end to death? And lostness right then, right now? No, because I want you to ask yourself, what did this mean for Jesus? What did this promise of joy mean for him? Rejection, loss, pain, a cross, death. And maybe you're asking this morning, well, hold on a second, I thought this was about joy. I thought this was about light breaking into the darkness and now we're into pain and suffering and death and a cross. Yes, because this joy that comes to us by the Holy Spirit came at the high cost of the life of the Son of God who came to end rejection by rejection, who came to end loss by losing, who came to end pain by undergoing pain, Who came to end death by enduring death? These are the paradoxes of the gospel. That this mighty king, this righteous branch, this light that was coming would be trampled on and pierced and executed. That this triumphant king would surrender. And just as Mary says, let it be here at the announcement of his birth, Jesus in the garden, Luke chapter 22, verse 42, before the face of his father, before the face of the cross, what does he say to his father? Not my will, but your will. Let it be. There's a whole lot out there about what it means for, quote, the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost to come upon you. There are those who would say that the Spirit manifests himself in ecstatic worship 
and emotional services or speaking in tongues, strange manifestations in church services or in worship, visions or prophecy. But I want us to ask the simple question, what does it look like for Mary? What does the manifestation of the Holy Spirit's power look like for Mary? One word, one phrase in English, let it be. What does the fullness of the Holy Spirit look like for the Lord Jesus? Let it be. Because in the good news of this promised son, this king, this Messiah, is also the bad news of his suffering and his cross and his death. And to that he says, let it be. And we see Ephesians 5.18, when Paul tells us as believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit, he compares it to being drunk with wine. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be drunk with wine? To drink so much that it controls you. And Paul says, don't do that, but do this. So if to be filled with wine means to be controlled with wine and drunkenness, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit except to be controlled by the Spirit? Here then is the result of what it means for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. That no matter the circumstances, the good, the bad, and the ugly... There is submission to God, to his word, to his promises, to his will, to his goodness. And you might be sitting there saying to yourself right now, God doesn't seem very good right now. His plan doesn't seem so good right now to me. I don't think I know the joy of the spirit right now in my life. And I want you to consider Jesus staring down the cross saying, this is why I came, let it be. And the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that even looking at the cross, knowing the shame, despising the shame, enduring the shame, what does it say was set before him? The joy that was set before him. What if I told you this morning that I know God's will for you? I know God's will for you. And I'd be glad to tell you right now, to everybody at the same time, God's will for you is your good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all things work together for the good of those that love him that are called according to his purpose. And we all say, amen, I want what's good for me, wealth and prosperity and health, mending of my relationships, a better job, a promotion, that's what's good for me. What does God say is good for you in Romans 8, 29? That you have been predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. The will of God for you here this morning, believer, in whatever your circumstance is right now, good, bad, ugly, suffering, pain, loss, joy, triumph, victory, whatever your circumstances are right now, the will of God is the same for you, believer, to be conformed into the image of Jesus. You want to say that a little more plainly? To be like Jesus. Your eternal true joy in the Holy Spirit, your true good, goes beyond, listen, the momentary sufferings of this world. It goes beyond the momentary temporary comforts of this world. 
Because true righteousness, true holiness, and true joy and eternal life come with the cross. And this is the invitation of Jesus to you, Luke 9, 23. If you desire to follow me, you want to come after me, take up your cross and follow me. I think the language of some portions of Christianity have, have trained us to be more concerned with rebuking our crosses than actually taking them up and carrying them. And the command of Jesus is to take up the cross and to bear it. Whatever you've been called to bear, you are not forgotten by God. Jesus was not sent to the cross despite God's goodness, but because of God's goodness. And so you can trust that his will for your life, be it pain and suffering and loss or joy and triumph and victory, now, whatever God's will is for you, right now, right here in this life, it is good because he is good. And you can say with Charles Spurgeon, God is too good to be unkind. And he is too wise to be mistaken. And even when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Whatever your circumstances here today, trust that. And may our response be with Mary, with Jesus. Whatever it is, God, I trust you and I love you. Let it be according to your word. There is true joy. There is the power of the Holy Spirit. Let it be. Thank you, our God and Father, for your word that brings comfort into our darkness, that brings light into our darkness. Father, as we come now to your table, we remember these great and precious promises that you have spoken once for all in your son, Jesus Christ, to bring light and hope and joy and peace into our mess. And God, though there are many in this room right now who do not feel that joy, who are overcome with anxiety, overcome with stress and depression, anger and bitterness, physical pain in their bodies, maybe problems in their family, in their workplace, in their loved ones. God, we ask this morning that you would sweep over this place with the presence of your Holy Spirit. And you would help us as your children to look to you, to trust your heart, and to say, oh God, we trust you. Let it be according to your word. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806 935 We'll see you next time.